thought we'd shake things up a little bit this morning for Father's Day. Hasn't it been fantastic so far? I'm crying so much. One disadvantage of being a female preacher, my mascara's probably all run, so sorry about that. And I was laughing so much with them. They just did such a great job. So, yeah, it was brilliant. Um, I have 10 minutes. Now, that will be a miracle in itself that I've only got 10 minutes to actually share with you. Um, when Katie and I sat down and we were talking about what we would like to do for Father's Day, we, we thought it would be great to have a panel of wonderful fathers that we can learn from and some practical... <laughs> okay. You're not allowed to steal the show at this point. I'm preaching, okay? <laughs> um, you get your turn. So we thought we'd have practical fathers and maybe somebody who's got a father, you know, <laughs> to share some practical principles for us. But I thought it would be very remiss of us not to actually look and uh, see some passages where we can learn some lessons from our Heavenly Father. I know for me, I had a, a wonderful natural father, a, a great guy. I had a special relationship with him. I really uh, loved my dad. Uh, so much so that I'm half German, my mum came from Berlin in Germany and we used to spend quite a lot of our summer holidays going to visit family over in Germany. And the worst thing for me was always saying goodbye to my dad to actually leave him for six weeks. I was always devastated that I was leaving him. And I had this little thing that I would do and I started it in Germany and carried it on throughout the year. Whenever I had a bag of crisps, I would save the biggest crisp for my dad. So for six weeks in Germany, going on holiday, when he came home, he had this big bag of the biggest crisps of all my bags. And he used to, he used to be really responsive and really excited when I came back home. And he would, he would savour those crisps. And then he used to say, when I was older, I realised he'd, he'd put them to one side. And I'd say, I'll eat them later. And I think they were nicely soft by the time that was six weeks they'd had these crisps. But in the natural, I loved my dad. But he was no means perfect. He had his faults, he had his temper tantrums, he had his mental health problems, and there were things that we had to deal with in the family. None of us have actually had perfect fathers in the natural. None of us have had an experience where fathering has been perfect for us. And all of us need a heavenly father, our heavenly father, to find that relationship that actually loves us completely just the way we are, totally unconditionally. And you know, I thought we would look at a great passage where the Heavenly Father has shown just a few attributes of our Heavenly Father that we can look at right now. It's a passage from Luke 15, and it's in your notes. And I kind of, I don't want to assume that everybody knows this story, because I know there's lots of people that are new to, to faith and new to church, but it's a story about a father with two sons, and one of the sons actually asked for his inheritance and wanted to actually take his inheritance and actually go and take all the money that was owed to him and go and squander it. He took it away and he went and squandered it. He actually lived wildly and he, when he ran out of money, he actually started to feed pigs and work with pigs and eat the food from the pigs because he had nothing else to eat. That was a big thing in the Jewish culture because they weren't supposed to touch the pigs, but there he was in the pigsty with the pigs until he came to his senses one day and he realized that actually the servants in his father's house were being treated better than how he was living. So he thought he'd go back and he'd say, maybe I could be a servant in your household. At least allow me to be a servant and then I could be fed and I could be supported. But you know the response of the father 
was so much more than just receiving him and giving him kind of a, a duty job. The response of the father is in the passage here. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That word compassion really stuck out to me. The thought he was filled with compassion for him. You see, compassion has no judgment in it. Father didn't look on and see all the sin, but actually his heart was full of love towards his son. When our hearts are full of compassion, we bring healing to the situation. We bring resolve to the situation. But also compassion has an action with it. He actually celebrated and filled the, uh, killed the fattened calf and celebrated because this son that was lost had been found. Father God is a God of compassion. He loves us and his heart goes towards us. Even if we think we've messed up, even if we think that we don't deserve it, even if we think that actually God can't receive me because of all the things that I've done. Heavenly Father is a compassionate God and looks when we're coming from a long way and looks out for our homecoming and waits for us and runs to embrace us because our relationship with him is more important than sin. Our relationship with him is more important than judgment. And our relationship with him causes him and us to celebrate. You know, I really pray that we as a church will become more and more of a compassionate church, that we will be a church that reaches out to those who have messed up, those who have lost their way in society, those who have lost their way in life, and that we will have a compassionate heart that causes us to celebrate when they come home. And that might be you today. That might be you that says that I want to come home to the Father today. We're going to give you an opportunity later on into this service. And quickly, I'm going to look at the second son and the response of the other son that was in the household. And when the, when the first son came home and there was lots of celebrating going on, the response of the second son was this. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has co come, he said, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The old brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father went out to the son. Father God is prepared to go looking for us whether we're far off and we're in the midst of sin 
or whether we're nearby and we're in the household, the Father goes towards us. And the Father was looking for the reality of truth for that son. That second son had the attitude of, he's got it all wrong, but look at me, I've got it all right. I've done everything right. I've slaved for you. I've worked hard for you. And you've given me no party, not even a little party, not even a small goat. It was all about what about me? Never mind him. But God's challenge was, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. I wondered if he'd ever asked. I wondered if he'd ever said to the father, could I have a party with my friends? You know, I think there's a lesson for us, church, that we can sit here week in, week out, Christians for many years, and think, what about me? We're celebrating all these new people coming in. What about me? But you know, God's grace is big enough for all of us. God's grace extends to all. And I'd encourage you to ask the Father, not to think that you have to earn it, but actually receive his grace from him and ask because he's more than willing to give to us. You know, none of us have had perfect fathers, as I've said, but when we go through the difficulty of those emotions, and even this morning that you might have some difficult mixed emotions of the father figures that were in your, in your life. Remember who you are and remember whose you are because you're in the household of faith and the Father God says, we have to celebrate when those are lost, come home or are found. And remember, I'm always with you. I'm always with you. And whatever I have is yours. Only you need to ask. You know, and we're going to look at some practical advice and suggestions of some role models because God gives us the perfect father, our heavenly father. He also gives us people in our life who we can learn from and support us. So I'm going to hand over to Katie now who's going to give a bit of an interview to some dads and maybe one day I'll be a dad as well. So. <laughs> Angie's my mother-in-law, so that was just a little hint in there. Um, but I don't know about you, but in our Connect group, we have found this proverb series so insightful, and we have found that each verse, every person in our group has found something different from. So we're going to look, if you've got a Bible, in Proverbs 27 today, and we're going to just pick out a few verses, and these guys, no pressure, are going to give some insight and some wisdom uh, to what this might mean for not just fatherhood, but just life in general. So let's look at the first one. If we put it up on the screen, verse two is the first one we're looking at. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. So guys, how do you avoid living for other people's praise and live for the audience of one? John. 
Great. Um, I, I have to say that I, I think that this has um, always been a struggle for me, uh, and I think it's a struggle for quite a lot of guys uh, to seek approval from others. And uh, it's something that I've, I've sort of tried to work on throughout the years uh, as, as I've gone on. Um, but I think um, the way that I do it is that I um, try and first thing in the morning, every morning, um, try and what Bill Hybels talks about, chair time. And um, it's a time where you can set your heart right, you can set your mind right, you can um, set yourself for the day um, and you can remind yourself of uh, who you are and, and, and whose you are and, and what you're about. And my chair time uh, tends to be in the car <laughs> on the way to work. So, you know, I know some people have special chairs in their houses and things like that. But my, my chair time is in the car on the way to work. Um, and that's the time where I, I pray and just set my heart right, set my mind right uh, in that way. Um, but what I would say is, is that, and I don't want to hog this, but what I would say is, is that um, I, I do believe that God has created in us a desire for approval. And there is a need within us all for approval. And uh, it's a God-given desire. And it's not something that we should uh, shrink from. But he's created this in such a way that we should really be getting that from him. And um, the, the problem is, is that uh, the world so often uh, is trying to squeeze us into its mold and to get us to get our approval from other things. And I think a lot of it does come down to who you are and reminding who you are. Um, and reminding that actually we're not what we uh, we're not what we do, we're not what uh, we have, um, we're not uh, at the uh, mercy of other people's approval, but uh, we get our approval from God. But I, I, in saying that, I know that sometimes it's a it's a journey, and it's something that we have to reclaim, and sometimes I have to reclaim. Sometimes in life, I realise that I'm looking for other things to, for approval, and that's an opportunity when I recognise it. To reclaim the truth that I, who I am and, and what I'm about. Okay, we'll move on to the next one. So that was great, John. Uh, verse six is the next one we're going to look at. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. So this verse suggests we have to have people in our lives who give permission to, we give permission to speak into us. So for you guys, how and where do you find those friendships for people to speak into your lives? Andrew. <laughs> Hi. So um, I guess in whatever I'm doing, I'm, um, I'm a firm believer in constructive criticism. And um, I don't think that comes naturally to most people in situations that you're in. Very often, you know, you might be giving a, a, a talk or a presentation or something else or doing some work. And, um, you know, other people there sometimes feel as though they ought to be saying to you, well done, that was really good. But I know in those situations that, you know, maybe hopefully 70, 80% of what I've done or said is okay. But I know there is always that little bit extra that I could do with a little bit of feedback or guidance on. So what I always try and do in situations like that is say to people, you know, please, if there's anything that I could be doing better, come and talk to me about it because I, I want to do those extra things. Um, you know, and, you know, I'm very aware in the situation today, um, you know, it's, it's a, a 
an open mic and an open platform. You know, I've given these guys here permission to say, if there's, if there's anything that I say that's out of turn or you think I might have upset someone, you know, please feel free to, you know, rip the mic out of my hand <laughs> and, and, you know, and put me straight on that. So it's just, I don't know, an attitude, hopefully, um, in what I do. Um, and I just encourage you to think about doing that. Where could you be getting better? Where could you be opening yourself up to people who are close to you to really give you good feedback on the good things that you're doing, uh, but also the things that you could be doing better in as well? And how, anyone, how do you stay secure when people give that kind of feedback that's hard to take? Anyone can answer. Well, I think um, just to highlight one of the words that you used, and, and Andrew used as well, is, is this permission word. I think security comes from the permission. I think it's of, often people uh, can find opportunity to give constructive criticism um, even without permission. And I think that's not necessarily the biblical way. The biblical way talks about speaking the truth in love. And I don't think that means... Um, often that's used as sort of a cover for, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, so I can tell you how it is. Um, Really, I think the in love bit is really key. It's about, well, we've got a relationship. Um, I've earned that permission. Um, you know that my heart is for you, and I want to see you grow, and here's what I want to say that's going to help grow you. And it's way better. And I think that, can, can, that security comes from the knowledge of the heart behind the person giving the criticism. Um, yeah. um, I just want to mention that also within this is that we have a choice as to who we allow into our lives and uh, who we allow to speak into our lives. And I think sometimes it's important who we choose and uh, who we choose to do that. And, um, you know, as men, we're not very good at it, to be honest. Um, you know, we, we tend to sort of just try and muddle on, our, on ourselves and uh, we're not very good at uh, really making those relationships and, uh, and those things. But I think it's important that we do make those relationships. We, we do it wisely that we don't just invite anybody to speak into our lives and that we have, we're sort of guarded in that uh, as we do it. I agree with everything that we just said. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm going to say that next. Oh, no, okay, you said that. Oh, no, anyway. <laughs> next question. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Can we have verse 17 up on the screen? Verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So how do you guys... Josh, I'm going to go to you first yeah, on this. <laughs> How do you keep the importance of meeting together with other believers high, either individually or in family, when there's so much other stuff with work and just busyness? How do you keep that high? I think for me, one of the key things growing up um, is that, like the, the Steve Campbell, Angie Campbell mantra of Sundays mustn't suffer. And that means that Sundays have to be the first thing. That's what you prioritize most. And that means coming to church. That doesn't mean just having a Sunday. Obviously, everyone has Sunday. But you, you need to come to church, basically. That is the place where you're going to find relationship. You're going to come to a place where you can worship Jesus. And in that, it's not just, it's not just a nice experience. It's, it's more than that. It's you're entering into his presence where stuff can happen, people's lives can change, you can have a grateful attitude, you switch your mind from focusing on me and you focus on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's, that's, that's the first thing I think, iron sharpens iron. Yes, totally we, we think that that's one, one person and it is one person, but I think it starts coming along on a Sunday and that's where you can build relationships, where you can find all this other stuff that we just said in the last question because if you're not coming on a Sunday, 
you're not going to be building relationships that are good unless you go to Connect Group. You should do that too. So um, one of the things that I think we're so fortunate about in this church is that um, we have a whole cross-section of people. You know, people with uh, young children, people with um, sort of early teenage children, people with older children, people without children. Um, and, you know, that isn't sometimes in society what necessarily you're exposed to. You know, you, you're mainly exposed to maybe people who are in the same life situation as you. And so one of the things I, I think is really important about Iron Sharpens Iron and that, you know, forgive me if you're parents of older children in this church, but, I, I, you know, I'm drawing alongside you and I'm, I'm, you know, I've got questions and finding out how have you tackled particular things with your kids and really using that input that you have um, with older children to be thinking about how I can be helping my kids and likewise, I throw that open, you know, if, if you're in church and you're thinking about how to bring your kids through and, and get them excited and involved in church, and you want to talk any time about that, um, you know, feel free to talk to people older than, than, than me, feel free to talk to me, but it's just an, an open invitation that we're really fortunate to have to sharpen each other um, in the way that we're helping and discipling and encouraging our children. Really good. Can we put verse 19 up, please? As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. And people are so often watching us. I know we spoke about kids watching on and they copy us as adults, monkey see, monkey do. So how are you guys intentional about keeping your heart right? Sai? It's a tough question, isn't it? Um... I think um, as we were just thinking about this verse, I, I think it's interesting because we talked about how, just to read the verse again, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. I think sometimes um, it's important to keep the heart right because I think this doesn't talk about a true reflection, personally. I think if you look in the reflection of water, it can so often be distorted or it can be rippled or perhaps it doesn't show a true reflection or the depth isn't right or so many tricks of the eye or the light can show in the reflection in the water. And so I think it's, in some respects, a warning to not look on people's outward life and what they present, or perhaps their Facebook persona, and assume that, therefore, everything lines up behind the scenes and that everything you see on the outside really is a reflection of the, a true reflection of the heart. It is a reflection. It's a true reflection. And um, rather than eloquently dodge your question, uh, <laughs> how, do I, how do I do that? Well... For me, it comes back to this question of priority. You mentioned that priority uh, last time. And um, I think often with all the struggles and the pressures in life, um, yourself can sometimes drop to the bottom. You feel sort of pulled in all directions. Everyone wants sort of something from you. You've got your job, you've got your family, you've got your friends, you've got your church, you've got lots of other things. And sometimes I can find that if I'm not careful, I will slip to the bottom of my list. And I think everything else suffers when I'm at the bottom of my priority list. And... Um, so I, I just try to find time and, and fight for that um, and uh, just try and sort of find those sort of small little bits of time in between all the other things that can all add up and be quite a useful resource when it comes to investing in, in me and perhaps my relationship with God and, and perhaps maybe growing a in areas that I want to by reading things that are going to support me. But I think it's got to be, a, for me, it comes down to a question of priority and finding those gaps in all the, the rest of the pressures. 
So uh, mine will be about children again, so forgive me. But um, I think um, before I had children, um, I always used to think it's, um, we're really fortunate in our church. It must be really easy for people to bring up children in our church because they can be so easily engaged. And um, I think now having children, I realize that um, it's so important that you are there in the right place of worship. You're there in the right place of church and, and the right place of prayer because they really do reflect that. You know, if I have a bad morning like this morning and I'm shouting at my kids, then, uh, you know, they will be there shouting back at me. Um, if I'm there uh, listening to maybe worship music in the car on the way to church, when we get to church, they want to be dancing at the front. Um, you know, if we're there praying with our children, sometimes in life situations, it's them reminding us that we need to be praying about it. So I've just really seen that, particularly with my kids, that they just so easily reflect the way that I'm modeling things. Um, and, you know, we need, to, we need to be careful about that, um, but also use it to great benefit to, to bring them up so that they know and love God as well. Um, I, I, think, I think one of the real challenges of, of parenthood and, and of life as well is, is what you say, Katie, is about um, how things are, are caught and just not taught. Uh, and children particularly catch things rather than uh, are taught things. And um, I can remember um, many years ago uh, when I was a youth worker, uh, there was, uh, had a youth group and uh, there was a particular girl who was really, really difficult. And uh, she used to cause a lot of trouble in, in the youth group and really difficult to engage and try and draw her in. And, and I tried everything to try and uh, to, to get her along and, um, you know, thought that, you know, my, my speaking and uh, all that kind of stuff would, would really do it. And then one day she suddenly changed and uh, she started to engage much better and sort of come in and, and, and be involved and just, just seemed to change. And um, so I, I got alongside her one day and so said to her, you know, what... What is it that's changed? You know, how, how, come, how come now you're, you're sort of uh, more involved and that kind of stuff, thinking that she'd sort of say, oh, well, it's something, you know, it's a great preach that you did or uh, it's a great thing that you did or whatever it was. Um, but what she said was, it was um, a couple of weeks before and we'd had the youth group and a, a homeless guy had come into the, uh, the hall and she said it was the way that I treated him that... Uh, really impacted her and it was the fact that I treated him with respect and with dignity and uh, you know helped him out and uh, that had really impacted her and what she said was she said then I knew what you were saying was true and uh, and I think that's really important and it's a real challenge uh, as a father and that kind of stuff to to sort of uh, not only talk the talk but walk the walk as you say Andrew and uh, um, and, and be genuine within that the last verse we're going to look at is verse 20 says, death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the human eyes. So just opening it up a bit, what do you read from that verse? What are your thoughts on that verse? You did get this in advance, so you should all know. I'll go first. <laughs> I'll go first. I think, I think one of the things for me, it, it comes back to this thing about, you know, for me it's about, um, it, well, I could talk about materialism, about what we look at and, you know, what we desire and what we, what we, what we go for. And, and, I, and I think more and more um, our culture is one where it's, it really encourages young people and, 
uh, and ourselves to sort of really look at things and to pursue things rather than rather than God, um, and to think that our worth and our value come from uh, what we have or what we do or what people say about us. And one of the things that I've uh, tried to instill into my children is is that it, that they're loved not for what they do or what they have, but they're loved for who they are. And um, one of the ways that I do that, fortunately, when any of my children aren't here, so they can't vouch for this, uh, today, well, in this service anyway, um, is that uh, one of the things that I've, I've said over the years to them, every so often I'll say to them, uh, do you know that I love you? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, I know that you love you. And I said, that's great, because I do love you. Um, I said, do you know why I love you? And they'll say, no, why do you love us? And I'll say, because you're special. And then they'll say, oh, great. And I say, do you know why you're special? And they'll say, no, why am I special? And I'll say, um, this is a little game we play now. Uh, they'll say, yeah. And i say, you're special because God made you. And they'll say, and then I'll say, do you know why God made you? And he'll, they'll say, no, why did my God made us? And I say, because he wanted to. And, and then I go on and just talk to them is the fact that they are special. They are valued just because of who they are, just because of who they are and not because of what, anything they do. They can do whatever they like, but they'll still be loved, uh, and it's the fact that they're who they are. This was uh, the one that we were going to talk about materialism in, wasn't it? Yeah, see? She, she threw a curveball because she didn't actually ask the question. That we were, uh, anyway, that aside, husband gets revenge. Um, <laughs> I think, when we look at materialism, for me, one of the... One of the things that I've always tried to think, and we hear quite a lot of when stuff goes wrong in the Campbell family household, is it's only stuff. And that's a real simple phrase, but actually we, we as people get so, like, my phone broke, and I'm like, oh no, my phone's broke, it's the end of the world. And then you kind of think, actually, it's only stuff. And we, we, we live a lifestyle of, like, so, like, plenty, abundance over and what we, we need and anything and you can go to places all around this world where they have like nothing and we live this attitude almost of it's my right I deserve this I am the ultimate I am the best person and actually the reality is no Jesus is the ultimate Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords we're just here because of grace because he decided that we could exist because he decided that he wanted to love something so much he created us sort of thing and that's, that's like, mind-blowing sort of thing. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Cool, because I'm trying to get nodding heads. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just so good. And this verse is, is a bit of an odd one. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the human eyes. Well, you could look at that in many different ways. But I think, yeah, there's a God, yeah, there's an enemy as well. And actually, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And actually, we need to live a lifestyle that says hey, it's just stuff, and actually we can stand up against this. We have the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords on our side, and whatever comes against us, we can always repel him, repel the devil, get lost, because we've got the Bible tells us, and you can live a good life. The end. Cool. We're going to leave it there, but let's give them a clap. They were so honest. That was awesome. You guys. Hit the cup. We're going to sing a song to close before we go celebrate Father's Day. Um, and it's a song called Good, Good Father. 
And I wanted to tell you part of my story before we sing this song. But when I was born, and I went back as a newborn baby to my home, the first thing my dad went and did, he went to the pub. And he went to the pub, and he didn't come home for six days. In the first six days of my life, my dad didn't really want to see me. My dad wanted to celebrate by having some drink and having a great time, but he didn't want to spend time with his newborn child. And my first ever memory that I can remember is, I don't know how old I was, but I was in a cot. And I was in a cot in a room, and my mum was pushing the wardrobe against the door, and my dad was outside banging to get in. I was just, I don't know how old I was, my first memory of my life. And you know, things got easier with me and my dad, and when he wasn't drinking, he was a great dad. He was a really great dad. But then at 16, I was about to sit my GCSEs, and I had a phone call saying, your dad was drinking. He fell over, and he's broken his neck. He's perfectly healthy, apart from drinking, and, and he died suddenly in the night. And there are days, I know when I got my GCSE results, I thought, there is no one who I want to tell more than my dad. I want someone to be proud of me. When I walked down the wedding aisle, there was no one I would rather have had beside me than my dad. And I'm not telling you this so that you can go away thinking, oh, poor Katie. I'm telling you this because at 16, I learned that even though I don't have a dad on earth in the natural who was perfect, I had a father in heaven who said, do you know, you don't need someone on earth to be proud of you. I'm proud of you, girl. I'm proud of you. I, I say to you, you know, you've got hope and a future and, and every day I'm cheering you on from heaven. He's not just beside, he's not beside me just in one moment as I walk down the aisle, but Father God says, I'm with you every moment of your life. I don't just stand beside you, but I have gone before you. Yeah. I go behind you and I protect you. And I felt this morning God tell me to tell you that there are some people in church that wake up on Father's Day and they choose to be upset. They wake up and they choose that it's going to be a day of mourning. It's going to be a day to say, oh, I feel a bit sorry for myself. I haven't got a dad or I'm a single mom and I know it's hard. I have days when I still miss my dad, but I know that, you know, this doesn't have to be a day of mourning. This could be a day where we say, Do you know, we... We have the best dad. Yeah. We have got a father in heaven who, who loves us more than we can even imagine. A father who sent his son so he could die for you, so that he could know you. So right now we're going to sing this song. It declares that God is a good, good father. And as we declare this, let's declare as a church that whatever our situation, we have all got a good, good father this morning. Yeah. So let's stand to our feet and sing this last song. Yeah.